Hi, everyone. Pastor Galen, lead pastor at Shine Hills Church. Thank you so much for joining us on this podcast. We hope that these podcasts will be a real encouragement to you on your spiritual journey. You can also connect with Cheyenne Hills at CheyenneHills.org. Hope you enjoy the program. We are across the street and around the world. Cheyenne Hills. Well, hello again, everybody, and welcome to the podcast. And Nathan, welcome. Glad Good you're to back. See you. Yeah, this has been a yeah. uh, so we here we are, mid-summer stride, right after uh, Independence Day. How oh. was your Independence Day? I absolutely loved it. We we got to watch not only fireworks, but God's fireworks, yeah. lightning on the 4th of July. It was beautiful. Well, you must have been in a different state because we need that lightning oh, and do. thunder here. But, right. And finally got a little bit of shower last night, so mm-hmm. that was that was huge. So I'm really, really, really happy about that. But so, so we do something here. It's kind of, I don't know, we prepare for Christmas in July. So we call it our Christmas in July. I like it. And this gal comes in, and she cooks this huge spread, and turkey and fixins. I mean, it's everything. It's just so. That sounds good, right? Yeah. Now. Well, so if I nod off and <laughs> fall asleep, it's not because you're boring. I oh, guarantee okay. it's because yeah. I'm. I the turkey hit me. Tryptophan. <laughs> there I got gotcha. you. Yeah, 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 yeah. So and even even Casey over here, he was we were he was in the same meeting. So well, if he nods off and falls on the keyboard, there'll be Z's on the bottom of YouTube. You know, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So that may happen, but <laughs> but one of the things we did in our so we dream about what Christmas can look like. Mm-hmm. And what ideas and how we're going to package Christmas, if you want to call it that, and maybe the series that we're going to do a series leading up to it or a series following it, or you know, we discuss all those things. And so, uh, but one of the th- themes that came up in yeah. our what we call room one, and that's just complete brainstorming. Mm-hmm. In other words, if you have an idea, you say it. It doesn't matter. We're not going to even fix it. You say we should take everybody uh, to a trip to Florida. Like you can say anything you want in room one. All right. Yeah. Okay. And no one can say, well, that costs a lot of money. You can't do that. <laughs> all right. So okay. you just dream about it. So, like but that. one of the concepts that came out was, uh, was, and I thought it was an interesting. I'm not sure if we're going to go this direction or not, but, but it was interesting. And the word is deconstruction. Oh yes. It's kind of a. I don't know if it's a buzzword, if you would call it that, but it's mm. a word that's kind of common in our society. Right. I think I know what deconstruction is, but when I heard other people defining deconstruction, deconstructionism, mm-hmm. uh, it had a lot of, it was going a lot of different directions. Right. Because you can deconstruct scripture, you can deconstruct history, you can deconstruct mathematics. Right. There's a lot of different ways that that people have used this. So I'm just going to throw that word out to you. When, right. when I throw this at you, right. deconstruction, what, what comes to your mind? Well, I, tell, I, I really appreciate the question. And, and I'll tell you where I've heard of it and, uh, and actually maybe some of the origin of it. And I can't tell you that I am the master of all things in this. But I did hear a wonderful uh, um, interview last year of a gentleman who had written a book entitled The Devil and Karl Marx. Okay. And he actually goes deep into the life of Karl Marx. And when he says the devil in Karl Marx, Karl Marx was quite literally a man who, uh, one, he just hated people. Oh, yeah. uh, he sang in praise of that. He wrote a poem in praise of the devil. Oh, so so really? th- we're not speaking in some sort of hyperbole. Uh, and that's what he was, was trying to articulate right out in this there. book. I didn't know that. Genuine, very, very forthright. Wow. But one of the things um, that when it comes to the word deconstruction, and this is the context in which I've heard that, is Karl Marx had made a statement that really what he wanted to propose is a critique of all things that exist. Okay. And so when we talk about deconstruction, really that is kind of the philosophical theory 
that undergirds that critical uh, approach to the world. And, and when we say critical approach, that actually is something that many people might recognize because there's been plenty of conversation regarding critical law theory mm. and then its, uh, its uh, related uh, field, critical race theory. Mm. But it's the idea of criticizing. So when, when we talk about criticizing, oftentimes what we would be talking about is looking into someone's life if they give opportunity for us to do this and, and in a loving way, reaching in and saying, we'd like to help you understand maybe where things went wrong so that we can restore you. Okay, right. What a Marxist believes in that reaching in and critiquing or being critical is actually to deconstruct, to destroy, because they want to destroy the world as it is and make it into a new yeah. uh, uh, communal I- ideal, essentially a collectivist state uh, that is utopia. Right. And so, and they so even talk really about utopianism. Is, yeah, no, that 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 helps me a lot actually, mm-hmm. because I've heard this before that before you have this communism, everything in common, this utopia that people, you have to deconstruct or or just basically disintegrate like institutions, right? Right, and right. truth and the Bible and mm-hmm. the church. I mean, imagine all those things are things that nationalism. We right. got to get rid of that. You got to deconstruct nationalism in order to have this global utopia. Am I am I on the, the right track here? That's exactly right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Got it. And so that that concept, when you look at it, um, what they then will do, and we've maybe talked about this. It's been a couple of years now, but we'll talk about the fact that um, it, all of this is based on a dialectical model. That's a fancy word. Forgive me for that, but I'll explain what the dialectic is. Uh, Hegel. George William Frederick Hegel, absolutely. <laughs> He's still awake. Uh, the I like turkey it. hasn't hit him yet. Well, yeah. Well, the gravy will soon. <laughs> the <sure>. gravy. <laughs> um, no, so so what we're talking about with Hegel and, and Marx is the idea is this: that there is a thesis or an idea that by its very nature will form an antithesis, and the two will wind up clashing. Okay. And what comes out of that struggle is a synthesis. But then the struggle continues because that synthesis becomes a new thesis. Right. For me. So we this. have this cycle that they claim. And so what they want to do, though, is actually perpetuate that cycle. And that's the reason why you'll watch a Marxist that will do everything they can to, to set um, uh, uh, sex against sex, rich against poor, yeah. race against race, all those things, because they want to accelerate that dialectical cycle. And so to do that, many times well, you'll find a country like the United States of America where actually it is the most glorious thing as far as a country goes that we've we've seen in human history. Mm-hmm. So what they have to do in that situation, and this is a fellow, and I forget his, how to pronounce his last name. His first name is Jacques. The last name is Derrida or Derrida. I forget how to say that. But, but he takes that, and we have to deconstruct then. Even what is good, you have to deconstruct it and break it down. And that's where in a country today, there was a poll done just in the last month or so where there are fewer people now saying that they are extremely proud of America. Yeah. And so it's because there have been clear deconstructionists at work in okay, this country. Okay, so this, this uh, Dorito fellow, you said. Yeah. Okay, so w- what was his end goal? Why does he say, why does Dorito want to deconstruct? The end goal for all of them is some sort of utopian society. Okay, that's Some co- sort of collectivist or uh, um, this commune, this feeling of a global commune. That's because what, it's yeah. not fair that one person has more than another person. Right. Is that correct? That, that would be basically. fair, yeah. yeah. So, And that's where when we talk about 
equality and equity, the difference in that. Mm-hmm. And so what we believe, what, it, what, a, what an American would believe is that we all ought to work off of the same level playing field. Right. But equal the outcomes may be different. Right. Yeah. Equal Not equal outcomes. Right. right. And that's where a right. collectivist, a, a socialist will say, no, there should be equal, equal outcomes. outcomes. That, is, that is the thing that I think through our time of discussing this, I've realized this is really what people see as fairness. Fairness is everybody is equal on the other side. And and it's just, you know, it's impossible to have mm-hmm. people don't have equal intellect. They don't have equal abilities or skills. They just like, uh, you know, you have to, if you had a, a, a playing field, a, a team, mm-hmm. you know, some kids are going to be faster than others. You can't, you, you go tell your fast kids, okay, you got to slow down. So the, the slowest kid doesn't feel left out, right, right? Right. It's like, well, you've just he's not going to run anymore because exactly. he's he's used to running this fast. And so this whole idea, it just it goes completely against nature, but it's how there's a lot of people in this world that think like this. That's right. And right. Unfortunately, unfortunately in my opinion, there's a lot of people that think like this that have a lot of money and a lot mm-hmm. of influence. Right. And they're they're getting some traction in our I think in schools and in our education and deconstruction, deconstructing of, of history. Quite right. Frankly. Yeah. Well, there's a great danger in that you can see in government policy. Yeah. And that would be, and, and it can happen in a lot of other venues, but in government policy, clearly. So if government does its natural job of providing for the rule of law and making sure that everyone has an equal playing field, that is a good thing. But if government is going to uh, um, mandate equal outcomes, if government becomes coercive. Yep. And so that's really, we watch that over and over again, where people that set off with these ideals to find uh, a communal state or a collectivist or socialist state, and in every one of those, you, we wind up watching the, the government become very coercive and dictatorial. Yeah. And it's because it's built into the basis of their system and it's very dangerous. Right. So... So here's a, we just got off uh, the 4th of July yeah. and I, I did some qu- I quotes, I quoted you a few times. I don't know if, wow. yeah, it was. there was some the big, bottom of the barrel. No, boy. no. The heavy hitters I quoted was David Barton and, uh, and Nathan Winters. Now, and I put you guys in that same, same category, quite frankly, but David Barton, and I, I said this and I want to make sure I'm right. Does he mm-hmm. live in Dallas? He lives just outside of it in a town called Alito, Texas, okay. but it's in the Dallas-Fort Worth but, but his, area. Does he have a, a ministry there? Yeah. I mean, it's, his headquarters is there. Yeah, Wall Builders is based out of Wall there, Builders, but also yeah. there's a museum with yeah. tons of early American uh, memorabilia. It's a wonderful collection. You need to spend several hours if you're interested oh, in that. I, I yeah. So I'm going to go to Dallas here at the first part of August. Yeah. But uh, I'd really like to see that, and yeah. um, and if you could give me a little pass, I would love to meet him. I know he, I know you I'll know him, him really well, but uh, I really I so appreciate him because he is the antithesis of deconstruction. He's like right. he's the guy going back to the Constitution, to our founders, and saying, "No, this is what they said. This is why they said it." Right. But when you were talking about, let me know if this is a result of deconstructionism, or is this is just a result of the House of Cards falling in? I'm not okay. sure. In the in the in the Declaration of Independence, it's in the course of human events, it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve a political bands which have connected them with another, and to assume among the powers of the earth a separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and nature's God entitle them. A decent respect to the opinions of opinions of mankind requires that they should declare the causes which impel them to the separation. So th- these guys basically said, okay, so 
everything's in shambles. Now, I'm not sure if there was deconstructionists that make that, you know, there was taxation without representation that made that happen. But my, my point is, it seemed like the founders were, were reconstructing. Is that, does that, is that a fair thing to say about, because they said, listen, and when, and when everything craters in, it's even given us an opportunity. Listen, if, if it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve a political bands, which have connected them with another to assume among the powers of the earth, the separation and equal station to which the laws of nature and the nature is God entitled. Mm -hmm. In other words, you can, if this one is being burnt to the ground, this is saying you may want to reassemble. Is that right? You, you've hit it spot on. And so here's specifically what was being overturned, at least in the American colonies at the time. And this yeah. is what they were expressing. So, of course, they were freer than most people on the planet in their day. I mean, they were because the rights of Englishmen, uh, let me tell you the, the rights of Englishmen. You can go all the way back into Anglo-Saxon history. Okay. And you can look at the relationship between the king, like a king like Alfred and, and Ethelred, and then his uh, wooden gamont, which was his an early version of kind of a parliament. Okay. Um, so there was some understanding that the king would, did not have absolute control okay. over everything. He had other nobles that he re had to rely on. Now, sadly, there still were serfs. They had no freedoms. Mm. You get to 1066 in the Magna Carta, and what you have there are the nobles again demanding, and at the essentially the point of a sword on Runnymede Meadows, demanding of King John that he understand that they have certain rights, and those rights are actually divinely given. Okay. And so wow. that, that Magna Carta, the Great Charter, is so important in English history, in no other culture really has something like that. Okay. You get forward, uh, you move forward into the uh, mid-1500s and you have the English Petition of Right, uh, Sir Edward Coke. The following, uh, but the following century in 1689, and this is what our founders were appealing to, was the English Bill of Rights. Okay. And so this was after the English Civil War. And they had already suffered through one king, Charles II, who almost returned them back to a divine right of kings that had been set up under James I, a, a very uh, uncomfortable. James uh, Charles uh, I, James I's son, had actually disbanded Parliament. Mm. And so finally they had an opportunity to say, listen, we need to guarantee for, from now and forever a certain understanding of rights that Englishmen have toward freedom. Okay. And so what our founding fathers were appealing to was the fact that those rights had been violated by not just King George III, really by Parliament. Okay. And so they were reconstructing rights that already existed. Okay. And so you're you're spot on. I'm giving so some there, of the nerd behind no, but, it. No, but no, that's great because there was they did experience and taste that freedom. Yes. Oh, and yeah. then and then they were take that was taken away. Mm -hmm. They were trying to get back to that. 16, what did you... What 1689. English Bill of Rights. Now, okay, just help, where did, help me out. Where does that Scroby England, where does Scroby England, 16-something? No, so so yes, you're right, but it, that was more in the 16, 18, 19, 20, 21 era. Earlier. And, but but earlier. it was okay, it stemmed gotcha. from the same place yeah. because James I was king of England, Charles I would follow, and they were demanding that there was a divine right of kings. Okay. And so they were insisting that everyone go to the church, that they were the nominal leader of right, right. the, the um, Anglican church. And so it was the same thing, the yep. same idea that exactly. drove them to, to come. Well, and, and that's what drove the, the our, our founding fathers, 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 
underground to read that Bible. To, that's that's right. where they got that freedom from, is like mm -hmm. the, when they read Scripture themselves. That's right. And they said, well, we can't, we've got to go find a place where we can read and practice this, uh, what God gave us, these freedoms. Right. Uh, and so they finally landed in the new world, mm -hmm. and so there we go. But that's interesting that, that our founding fathers have that history, and they knew what happens when you take away... When you dictate to preachers what they can preach, which is mm -hmm. what the king was doing at that time, or trying to, right, 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 and or when when the king can dictate taxes and everything else, uh, they were saying this this cannot happen. So they were reconstructing something mm -hmm. back to a freedom that they at least they knew of or had exactly. heard of, exactly, right, 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 uh, from their their fathers, probably. and that really in many ways makes them unique. Yeah. In world history, yeah. and um, I was I was talking about this last week down uh, across the street from Colorado State University to a large crowd, but on that very subject, on the difference between a republic and a democracy, yeah. and why it matters. But in that, when you look at what we have inherited in this country, much of that it really could not have happened in any other circumstance. But the when you understand the spiritual under uh, undergirdment, if you will, if that's a word. Mm -hmm that our founding fathers had, and then the, the understanding that came through the long history of England. And that's why we cannot be totally unfair with a James the uh, III, or not James the Third, George the uh, yeah, Third. Yeah. George probably thought that he was still uh, undergirding those, uh, those rights and all those other things, but clearly what could be seen by the founders was that if you continue down the path yeah. that has been laid out by Parliament, those rights will disappear, and they've been hard fought for. Right, right. Well, so, and when they put that in the very first paragraph, it says, so it, mm -hmm. if all this folds again, you have the right to reconstruct, if you want to call right. it that, a, right. a, new, a new kind of government. And so right. I just thought that was interesting mm -hmm. in the light of our, kind of in our world today. It's like, I don't know if people yeah. really know that that's in our declaration. So when we talk about the difference between a reconstructionist. Yes. I like that word. If we've invented it just now, yeah. you can pay us later. <laughs> but I like that. The Get reconstructionist like. <laughs> uh, versus the deconstructionist right. approach right. of the Marxist. Yeah. And we have watched that on a multitude of fronts. Um, we've watched that within the uh, church world really since the 1870s. Uh, we see that with the with the rise of modernism, and actually it was Marxism that had crept into a number of German seminaries back then. We have watched this over and over uh, through the decades, that deconstructionist idea that you can't believe the Bible, you have to hold the Bible up through the lens yes. of modern ideas. Right. And so they really try to deconstruct the Bible. Right. And then we watch it just creep across society. And really, a lot of times, it starts at the spiritual level. I th and that's what you face. Well, I, that's what, and that's what we see, and I think that's what we as, as preachers are spending our time trying to uh, you know, reconstruct or, or to hold up truth in right. our day. And I will tell you, truth in our day, to hold it up, has a, has a different impact than it did even... I think even 25 years ago, mm -hmm. because some of the issues we're dealing with, the truth is is causing a vitriol reaction that maybe mm -hmm. it wouldn't have 25 years ago. Right. It's, you know, some of the Roe v. Wade would be an example. Same-sex attraction would be one other uh, transgender. All those things, those things are all you hold up truth of God's word in our society today. It has a, 
it has a different kind of impact than it did right. even 25 years ago. That's right. And so it takes, I think, takes we say to be strong and courageous. I think it takes a lot of courage to, to hold up those things. I want to take a little bit of a twist here because sure. I was thinking about, so this is where my mind was going when we were uh, talking about this deconstruction idea of institutions, of the Bible, of you know, of, of even America and some of the history and some of those things. But I got to thinking, and I'm not sure if this is a good example, but it's an it's a interesting similarity, okay? And so Jesus did some of this when it comes to, he deconstructed and reconstructed almost in one, two sentences. Wow. All right, so take a look at this. You have heard it said that of old that is, uh, you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother is liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. Whoever says you fool will be liable to hell of fire. Um, and then he goes on a little bit. And he says, uh, it was, you've heard it said, divorce. he whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except for the grounds of sexual immorality, commits adultery. Here's, a, here's one more. Uh, you've heard it said that an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, uh, do not resist the one who is evil, but if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to the other as well. So, and he goes on. There's several examples of this, loving your enemies, all these things. But is that a, he's almost deconstructing the old mm-hmm. thought, but mm-hmm. he's replacing it with something better. Right, okay? exactly. So, so today, this is my whole point. It seems like today we are deconstructing thoughts, um, but we're replacing it with something that is not better. It's they're replacing it. I don't know if they're replacing it with anything. They they just want to destruct it. That's exactly. Does that sound right? That's exactly right. And and that is the clear difference between a Christian approach and a a uh, atheistic secular approach. Yeah, just destruct it and leave it right. in ashes. Well, there's also another illustration to that. The difference between okay. God appealing to you through your conscience and then just the feeling of guilt that the devil will bring. Okay. So when we talk about this, God always brings something to you to help strengthen you, to make you better, or to correct you, to bring you to a place where you will find peace and rest. Hmm. Whereas Satan oftentimes will bring you a sense of guilt. He'll try to deconstruct you with no hope of actually ever being reconstructed better, but to leave you as a quivering pile of rags uh, on the roadside. And hopefully, you know... He comes to seek, kill, and destroy, and he hopes mm-hmm. that you can destroy yourself. That'd right. be even a plus. Well, but you're you're spot on on, on that idea. Something I, I thought about when we were talking about that earlier was, as when they go to deconstruct thing, it feels feels less like they're trying to, like take it apart. Like uh, our children's director was talking about her young boy who takes apart his RC cars to see how they works, and he can't yeah. put them back together again. Yeah. But the idea of taking something apart just to take it apart seems like you're not trying to understand it, you're just trying to reduce it. Yeah. yeah. It's reductionary and not it, it always comes across to me when I hear the final argument that they bring out of it. It feels reductionary rather than deconstructing it to try to understand it better and then saying, see how this doesn't work. It mm-hmm. feels like we're just like, I'm just going to take this apart into pieces that I can then attack by themselves without context. And right. And it's that's a, what it feels it's like. a really good point. Right. That's really good. Because I think a lot of times we can definitely the things we do need to be evaluated. We don't do everything perfectly. I mean we need to evaluate what we do and say, you know what, that part of it, that needs to be reworked. And I can see that, but that's a, um, but these true deconstructionists and Marx was a, uh, sounds like he was one of the ultimate. So uh, someone once wrote that Marxist philosophy is actually oxymoronic, but 
really, yeah. if there is a philosophy that undergirds Marxism, it is yeah. that idea that. found in the ruthless critique of all that exists. Yeah. And by critique, what they mean is the destruction, destruction the deconstruction of, right. of, of the world around them right. uh, to try to build a utopia, which can't exist. Therefore, you're left in this nihilistic state of just hopelessness. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Well, so I don't know to put a bow on this. I didn't know if you had a final thought you're, you're scrambling to find there, but I, right. I, uh, I think it's really an important... I don't know if this is where we're going to go with Christmas or not, but, but we want to, to reconstruct the idea of, of hope, to reconstruct the idea of, of purpose. And I think, uh, think we've got to continue to fight for, for mm-hmm. the strength and the courage and the hope and the purpose and, and that, that our life here before God matters. And so... Right. Um, we as pastors are continuing to try to uphold these things, and you're doing the same thing in, in our society, trying to uphold God's truths in the midst of people that not everybody agrees, right? right. And to try to speak this truth and speak it in love. Those are, those are, Jesus was the master. I, I've right. just discovered, you know, not just, right. but I've, I discover every Sunday, I think, it's like, I want to thread the needle so perfectly, and it's mm-hmm. like, I can only do so much, but... You know, the Lord Himself is the only one that can hit this so perfectly. Right. And uh, but it, you know, He hit it perfectly, and uh, He still died for it. So Amen. They right. took him the true. cross. They didn't want him yeah. around anymore. So, right. all right. So thank you so much for joining today, and thank you for being there today. And I hope that, like always, that you will be and remain strong and very courageous. God bless you all. Amen.